0: The Bible reading is from Daniel chapter 7, verse 1 to 14. is on page 881 of your pew Bibles. Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, And there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, "'which looked like a bear. "'It was raised up on one of its sides "'and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. "'It was told, "'Get up and eat your fill of flesh. "'After that, I looked, "'and there before me was another beast, "'one that looked like a leopard, "'and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. "'This beast had four heads "'and it was given authority to rule.' After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had 10 horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. "'and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. "'This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man "'and a mouth that spoke boastfully. "'As I looked, thrones were set in place "'and the Ancient of Days took his seat. "'His clothing was as white as snow. "'The hair (coughs) of his head was white like wool. "'His throne was flaming with fire "'and its wheels were all ablaze. "'A river of fire was flowing.' coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time.
1: I had a friend who uh, worked at David Jones in the city. Uh, I'm guessing most of you are aware of the David Jones store that's in the city. Uh, a beautiful store, very, very classy. There's a grand piano in the foyer. Uh, normally someone there playing the piano as you make your way in, you've got this lovely piano music all around you. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful, pleasant place. Uh, you kind of get the feel of you'd like to actually live there, not just shop there. I mean, it's so nice inside. But my friend got to see the other side of David Jones. He actually worked in the storerooms in the lead up to Christmas one year. And he said it completely shattered all of the ideas that he had about the David Jones store. The storerooms were complete chaos Uh, People running around everywhere, no one knew where anything was. There were half-open boxes all over the place, stocks strewn all over the floor. He said it was a complete disaster area. But as soon as you walked out of the door from the storeroom into the shop, you were entering into a completely different world. It was calm and serene and you could hear that piano music playing. He said it was a completely different place. Often what's happening behind the scenes can be different to what's happening on the surface. And that's what we see in Daniel chapter 7 and 8 today. Daniel's given these visions about what is going to take place, but it's not simply about what's involved in the future. He's been given this glimpse behind the scenes and sees that things are very different from the way that they look on the surface where Daniel is standing. Now we come today to what is really the very central chapter of the book of Daniel and it's central in a number of ways, obviously because it's like right in the middle of the book, that's the most obvious one, but it's also central in a few other ways. Um, Daniel's made up of 12 chapters and it's written in two different languages. So you can divide the book up into Hebrew and Aramaic. So the first seven chapters are in Aramaic, basically and the from chapter eight onwards is written in Hebrew. Um, our new, new international Bible will actually tell you when it changes languages there'll be a little footnote down the bottom there. but the book of Daniel is also written in two different styles of literature. The first part of Daniel is written in what we call third- person narrative. It's someone talking about Daniel. It says, then Daniel did this, or then Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego went there or did this. But the second half of the book of Daniel is written in the first person. You might have noticed that as we were reading through that Bible passage. It says, I, Daniel, saw this and I saw this and I spoke to this person. So it's written in the first person, not in the third person. So you've got the book dividing up into languages from the first seven chapters and then onwards in Chapter 8. But in terms of the style of literature, it's the first six chapters and then from Chapter 7 onwards. So Chapter 7 is kind of the very central chapter of the book. It's right at the very centre. It fits into one half in terms of style but fits into the other half in terms of language. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think this is the chapter that explains everything that's happened, and this is the chapter that helps us understand what's going to happen from here on. Now we looked earlier in the year at the book of Revelation which is this apocalyptic style of literature and as I said, the Daniel reading sounds very familiar, doesn't it? There's beasts and lions and in chapter 8 we see goats that have got single horns coming out of their foreheads. There's a beast with 10 horns in the passage that we just read. Horns get pushed out of the way for other horns to grow up. Horns have eyes and talk. I don't even know what that would possibly look like. But apocalyptic literature needs to be read in a particular way. You need to read it for what it is. You don't dive in and sm- and focus on, sm- on small details. Um, have a look at chapter 7. We're told about four beasts that come up. Uh, one of them is a bear. People want to say, well, that must be Russia. Or one of them is a lion and they say, well, that must be the United Kingdom because they're the animals that kind of represent those two kingdoms. But if you start doing that, well... There's no end to the things that you can start to identify and it's completely unbridled. There are no principles involved in that. You can just guess at what you think want, what you want things to be. Uh, When the fourth beast comes up, the one that doesn't even get described, it's just described as being a a crazy, vicious beast, uh, well people start to get very, very creative. Here are are some of the things, and and I'm being totally honest with these, I've found these on the internet, some of the things that people have identified as being the fourth beast. Russia. Well, that, that's gone, so that's not worth considering. Um, the United Kingdom is another one. Bank card is another, is the beast. Barack Obama, a lot of people are favourable on that one. Um, F-Pos, uh, the Pope. Television, that that's the beast that's controlling the world. Eh, there could be a little bit of truth in that one. Uh, European Union. Uh, and the World Council of Churches, uh, some people would want to suggest that that's actually the beast that's at work in the world. Personally, I think Pokemon is probably... a. a oh, you laugh. Here are some of the Pokemon visions. Tell me this doesn't look like what we've just read from the book of Daniel. I mean, seriously. But I don't think you're supposed to dive in and try and identify things that way. If you do, well, it's a very happy hunting ground for a lot of strange ideas and you only need to get onto the internet to find them. Here's three simple rules for reading apocalyptic literature. We kind of looked at these when we looked at Revelation. Let me remind you of what they are. First thing you need to do when you look at a vision that's presented is step back and make sure that you see the whole picture. Most of the mistakes that people make with reading apocalyptic literature is that they just want to dive in and focus on one part, but they don't step back and look at the whole vision. And that's what we'll attempt to do in just a moment. You need to see the big picture. Second thing is this, take numbers symbolically. Generally speaking, numbers are meant to be understood symbolically in the book of Revelation and in the book of Daniel. Now, we do this with numbers already. We know that there are some numbers that have a symbolic nature to them. A hundred is one of those numbers for us. It's a great significance. If you reach your 100th birthday, as Claire will in a few years from now, we'll be celebrating that. I mean, 99, that seems... No, not worth celebrating but 100 we want to celebrate that one. Same with cricket. When a cricket player makes it to 98 or 99 but gets out we see that as a disappointment. But if they got one more run that would have been fantastic and worth celebrating. Uh, 13 is another number that we treat symbolically in our society. 13th floor if you go into many of the office buildings in the city they don't have a 13th floor. You jump straight from 12 to 14. They do have a 13th floor, they just don't number it 13 because they think that's unlucky. We lived in a house that was numbered 11A. It was actually number 13, but because a doctor's surgery was in the front of it, they didn't want that unlucky number associated with the doctor's surgery. Uh, We're superstitious in our Australian cricket team, what's the unlucky number for Australians? Sorry, 87 is the number we're looking for. Why is that unlucky? Because it's 13 short of 100. So that's the superstition that we have with numbers. Numbers are supposed to be treated symbolically in Revelation. I I didn't quite count, but there were a number of times that the number four came up in our passage today. Four winds, four beasts. There are fours, four heads, four wings. And that number is supposed to be a number of completeness. Last rule of thumb before we get into the passage, don't make strict identifications unless the passage tells you to. It's often a big mistake to jump in and try and identify something as symbolising this real thing in life when you don't need to, when that's actually not the point of the vision. Uh, And we'll see that in just a moment. Okay, let's jump in and have a look at the vision. You might have noticed at the beginning of the passage, it says that we're now back in the first year of King Belshazzar. Uh, we've jumped back into a previous kingdom. last kingdom we looked at in chapter 6 was the kingdom ruled by Darius. But now we've gone back to chapter 5 when Belshazzar was actually king or the ruler. Um, So in this vision, Daniel sees these wild things happening. Uh, Probably would have been better to describe it as a nightmare rather than a vision. There are these beasts that come up out of the sea. Each one progressively worse than, than the one before until we finally get to this fourth beast. But the first beast is one that looks like a lion but it has an eagle's wings. The second beast is a, is a bear. The third one is like a leopard. But the fourth one, well, it isn't like anything. It's just plain old terrifying. We're told that it has 10 horns. Another horn comes up and pushes some of those horns out of the way. This horn has eyes and a mouth and speaks boastfully. And people want to speculate about what these four kingdoms are. Some people would want to say the four kingdoms are the ones that Daniel lived at the time of. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks and then the Romans. Now that may be true. But in some ways it's completely irrelevant to the vision. It doesn't matter. That's not the point of the vision. Daniel is trying to figure out what all of these beasts are. And then suddenly something else happens thrones are being set in place. We're told that the Ancient of Days, the God figure, enters into the scene. Uh, Have you got your Bible there? Chapter 7, verse number 9, look at what it says. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow and hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Now, can you try and picture this, this whole vision? See, over here we've got these beasts that are coming up out of the water each one progressively worse than the one before. But over this side, it seems very calm and serene. They're adjusting the chairs. God's taking his throne. They're all seated over here. They're not worried about what's happening over this side. They're not worried about these beasts. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the beast, in the midst of the terrifying, boastful beast that has the horn sticking out of its head... We're told that the Ancient of Days gets the courtroom set up and ready for the trial to begin. The court is now in session. The books are opened and the trial begins. The horn of the terrifying beast is still mouthing off, and because it continues to mouth off, did you see what happened? It says that the beast was slain, destroyed, and thrown into the blazing fire. That's it. Like, like that, the beast is gone. The terrifying beast is dealt with in the blink of an eye. And it seems as though God doesn't even need to get up out of his seat to deal with that beast. But it doesn't end there. The next thing that Daniel sees in this vision is one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven as we just sang. Coming before the Ancient of Days. Pick it up there in verse number 13, chapter 7. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This person, this one like the son of man has given all authority. Everybody worships him and his kingdom will last forever. So what are we supposed to make of all of this? Well, again, the first thing you need to do is step back and make sure that you've seen the whole vision. A lot of people who look at this vision, they just want to worry about that fourth beast. But you only need to look at the whole picture to realise you don't have to worry about him. He's dealt with, destroyed, thrown into the fire. Well, Daniel's told that the beasts represent kingdoms. We're not specifically told which kingdoms they represent, which is interesting because you turn over to the very next chapter, we're told about two more beasts, a a goat and a ram, who are fighting with each other. And we're told very clearly which, which kingdoms those two beasts represent. They represent the Persians and the Greeks. That's what it says in chapter 8, verse 20. But in chapter 7, we're not told which kingdoms they do represent. And if no direct identification is made, then there's probably no reason to bother making one. The beast is essentially unidentifiable, that fourth beast that comes up, and it doesn't need to be identified. And think about the vision. This isn't something that God or God's people were worried about. That whole court scene shows that God's completely in charge. The vicious beast that's prowling the earth is destroyed and God doesn't even need to get up out of his seat to deal with it. Daniel lived at a time when these visions probably would have made a whole lot more sense to him than they do to us. I mean, he's seen those terrifying kingdoms that have come and marched through the earth. He's seen the kingdoms that have smashed Jerusalem, dragged God's people off to live in another land, plundered the temple in Jerusalem, thrown God's people into a fire, thrown them into a lion's den. Daniel knows exactly what it's like to see these vicious kingdoms roaming the earth. But no matter how chaotic and out of control these kingdoms may appear, when you look behind the scenes... God's sitting on his throne. He doesn't even need to stand up to deal with them. It's all completely under control. And there's one final thing in this vision that we need to make sure we have a look at, and that's this idea of the Son of Man. Now, if we apply our rule of not making a direct identification unless the passage tells you to, then this figure remains a mystery. He's the one who comes on the clouds of heaven... He's led before the kingdom, led before God, the Ancient of Days. He's given complete control and authority and dominion and power. He establishes this everlasting kingdom that will rule forever, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Now, for Daniel and those who lived at Daniel's time, this character must have been a complete mystery. They must have wondered who in the world this would be and when this person would come. In fact, for the next few hundred years, this figure remains a mystery. They continued to live under the power of other kingdoms. God's people, Israel, were back in the land, but they continued to live under other kingdoms. But when Jesus stood before the Jewish leadership, he made this statement. The high priests were quizzing him, and the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says this, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's clearly got the Daniel passage in mind, hasn't he? Here is the son of man. Here is the one who will appear before the Ancient of Days and receive all authority and power and will establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. And he doesn't just say it once. That's his preferred title for himself right throughout the Gospels. Matthew says that he said that 28 times. Mark tells us of 13 occasions when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Luke 25 times. John 12 times. Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. And again, he clearly has Daniel 7 in mind when he uses that title. He is the one to whom all authority will be given. He is the one who will have an everlasting dominion. He is the one that everyone ought to bow down to and acknowledge is king. But it's an amazing scene there in Mark chapter 14, isn't it? I mean, he doesn't look like the all-conquering king at this particular point, does he? He's standing there bound in front of the Jewish leadership. He's been arrested by his enemies. They want him dead He stands here beaten and bloodied. He stands here being spat on and ridiculed by people. On the surface, this looks completely out of control, doesn't it? The Son of Man being treated this way? But when you look behind the scenes, you know what's going on. Jesus is about to pull off the greatest victory of all time. Jesus is about to die on the cross. He is about to pay the penalty for the sins of this world. He's about to defeat death. He's about to make it possible for us to have eternal life. Jesus is the Son of Man. He reigns over this world He is the one that you need to bow down before. He is the one you need to acknowledge as king. And that's something we need to keep remembering all the time that God has this world under control. We can look at plenty of places around our world where it seems to be completely out of control. But we need to remember to look behind the scenes. God is on his throne, is in complete control of all things and his people need to keep trusting the Son of Man because one day that kingdom will be established for all eternity. Jesus will rule forever and we have the privilege of being a part of that kingdom.